Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Shared International Second Quarter 2020 Results Conference Call and Webcast. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following management's presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session and instructions will be given at that time. If anyone has any difficulties hearing the conference, please press star zero for assistance at any time. I would like to remind everyone that this conference call is being recorded today, Thursday, July 30th, 2020 at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'll now turn the presentation over to Joe Racanelli, Director of Investor Relations and Communications. Please go ahead. Good morning. Good morning, everyone, and thank you uh, for joining us today. Before we begin, I'd like to remind everyone that we will be following a presentation that is available from our website at Sherrod.com. We will be making forward-looking statements, and the risks associated with these statements are detailed in our presentation. With me, as usual, are David Pathé, Sherrod CEO, Andrew Snowden, our CFO, and Steve Wood, our Chief Operating Officer. They will be reviewing our financial and operational performance for Q2 in a couple of minutes. Copies of our, our Q2 MD&A financial statements are available from our website and as well from CDAR. Following management's discussion, we will be opening up the call to questions. I should point out that this call is, we are conducting this call all remotely, and if there are any technical issues, we ask for your patience and we will reconnect. With that, please go ahead, David. Okay. Well, thank you, Joe, and, uh, and and good morning, and thanks for joining us, uh, everyone, uh, from me as well. Uh, this is obviously the second time we've done uh, a, a quarterly analyst call in the in the COVID era. The first one for Q1 was in the relatively early days, and there have been a lot of uh, developments uh, since then, uh, and it's certainly been a busy quarter for us. Uh, so as we normally do, I'm going to touch on a few highlights uh, before Steve takes you through the operational results and Andrew highlights some financial matters and I'll come back at the end uh, before we take questions. Um, as I said, Q2 was a very busy quarter for us, uh, a lot going on internally and externally, um, some noise in the financial statements as a result of, our, uh, of um, some changes in Embadavi and uh, our ongoing restructuring efforts. And we hope to see some of that uh, normalize and sort itself out uh, as we get our transaction closed in the third quarter. Just to touch on a few of the highlights, uh, operationally, a very strong quarter um, from a production perspective for, for our more joint venture in particular, um, all the health and safety measures we implemented uh, to prevent the spread of, of COVID-18 have worked well, and Steve will highlight some of that for you in a moment. Um, but we saw strong production numbers uh, and, uh, and as a result of reinstating our guidance uh, for the year, and we'll talk a bit about that as well. Uh, financially, markets have been pretty volatile, as we've all seen and experienced. Um, uh, we've seen softness, uh, particularly in cobalt and fertilizer prices, uh, which has uh, affected us from a net direct cash cost perspective and has unfortunately offset some of the significant improvements we made uh, to our mining, processing, and refining costs uh, as part of our response to, to COVID. Um, COVID has had limited impact on our uh, operations, has affected our ability to collect on overdue receivables from the partners, from our Cuban partners. You see that reflected in our financial statements. Um, the, the impact of the pandemic 
as well as uh, ongoing and some new U.S. sanctions against Cuba have significantly reduced the country's access to foreign currency and reduced energy payments as a result over the quarter and lowered our, our cash position at quarter end. Um, and we expect to see that continue uh, probably through the end of the year. Um, the other big effort over the quarter was the, our ongoing restructuring efforts, um, and we made a lot of progress on that over the quarter. Andrew will highlight some of that, uh, but just to give you a quick snapshot, we have uh, did come to agreement with, with a group of bondholders and then proceeded with an amended uh, uh, restructuring plan. Uh, that plan uh, received a significant uh, uh, shareholder and bondholder approval last week, and we are still tracking to try and close that transaction uh, by the end of August. Those are the main highlights that I wanted to just sort of kick off with. I'm now going to turn it over to Steve and let him take you through uh, uh, some of our uh, operational achievements in the quarter. Okay. Thanks, Dave. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, before I discuss our operational highlights, uh, I'd like to briefly comment on our uh, progress on health and safety. Uh, we've made considerable efforts over recent years for an environment where best practices for employee health and are in place. This is resulted in Sherrod regularly ranking in the lowest quartile of benchmark uh, peer set data, and we continued this trend in Q2. Overall, Sherrod had a total recordable injury frequency of 0 0.20 and a lost time injury frequency rate of 0 0.07, of which are improvements over our performance of Q1. Now I'll move on to slide six. Uh, the onset and spread of COVID-19 has had significant impact on mining operations around the world. And a number of uh, companies have had to limit or in some cases stop production entirely. To date, COVID-19 has had a, a limited impact on our production activities at each of our operations, including MOA and our refinery in Fort Saskatchewan, as well as the power and oil production efforts. The only notable impact uh, that COVID-19 had in Q2 was to delay the annual maintenance sh uh, shutdown by several weeks, uh, thus putting it uh, into Q3. The impact is due in large uh, to the additional health and safety measures that we implemented starting in early March. Uh, these measures included practicing social distancing and increased use of hand sanitizers, uh, workplace modifications, and uh, additional personal protective equipment. Employee health and safety are paramount at Sherritt, and uh, we will take all necessary uh, measures to protect our employees. Measures implemented to date will continue to be in effect for the foreseeable future. The limited impact that COVID-19 had on our operations, both in Canada and in Cuba, is reflected in our production results for the quarter, starting with the MOA JV on slide seven. On a 50% basis, uh, MOA produced 4,323 tons of mixed sulfides in the quarter, and that's in line with last year's production total of 5,306 tons. Sorry, 4,306 tons. Um, production results for the quarter uh, are indicative that the uh, weather challenges we experienced in Q1 have been overcome. Now, turning to uh, finished production, we produced uh, 4,147 tons of nickel and 425 tons of cobalt in Q2, 
And these totals represent improvements of 4% and 2% respectively for the same period last year. The growth experienced in Q2 was largely driven by our decision to delay the annual maintenance shutdown by several weeks as a safety precaution to uh, prevent the spread of COVID-19. The annual maintenance shutdown has been completed since the start of uh, Q3, and I should make clear that the duration for this year's shutdown longer than last year's due to reduced availability of uh, local contractors. We also identified additional repair scope during the planned shutdown, and I should also make mention that our maintenance activities are completed through a, a phased approach in the course of the year, with another phase expected in late summer. Despite the extended uh, duration of the maintenance shutdown, the uh, costs for this year were consistent with last year. Now turning to our unit costs at the MOA JV on slide eight, MPR or mining, processing and refining unit costs declined by 16% in the quarter and uh, relative to last year. Uh, the decline was driven uh, by a combination of factors, including lower input costs for sulfur and fuel, as well as by savings generated uh, by our austerity measures we completed earlier, or we implemented, sorry, earlier in the year. These austerity measures were implemented in the wake of the uncertainty caused by COVID-19. Uh, while lower MPR unit costs typically help drive lower NDCC, we experienced an increase in NDCC Q2 of 2% relative to last year. Uh, NDCC in Q2 was uh, 392 per pound, and that's up from 383 per pound for last year. The increase was largely driven by the 27% decline in cobalt byproducts as a result of uh, lower cobalt realized prices. Uh, lower fertilizer byproduct credits as a result of a 19% drop in realized price due to increased competition uh, also contributed to the uh, higher NDCD quarter. Next, to our oil and gas operations on slide 9, uh, we produced uh, 3,029 barrels of oil per day in Cuba on a gross interest basis in the quarter. This total marked uh, a decline of approximately 30% from last year when we produced uh, 4,420 barrels of oil per day. Increase was due to uh, natural re reservoir declines, and as is to be expected, the decrease in the number of barrels produced had a uh, negative impact on our unit costs. Unit costs in Cuba for Q2 were 26.92 per barrel, and that's up 35% uh, from. 1993 per barrel for the same quarter of last year. Our unit costs were also impacted by the depreciation of the Canadian dollar as local costs are dominated in U.S. currency. And the impact of the higher U.S. dollar was partially offset by lower costs, however. Now, turning to our power division on slide, we uh, produced 153 gigawatts electricity in Q2, and that's down 15% from last year when we produced 180 gigawatts in the same period. The decrease was due to reduced availability of uh, gas supply. The unit operating costs in Q2 were 14, and that's down 14% from 
1635 for last year. And the decrease was due to the timing of maintenance activities. The costs were primarily due to the being, being uh, deferred and by our decision to limit operational spending to uh, levels required to maintain certain plant operations in line with uh, Cuban energy receipts. The impact of uh, reduced was partially offset, however, by the decline in the value of Canadian dollar as power business costs are generally denominated in uh, U.S. currency. Uh, those, uh, oh, sorry, that includes my uh, review of our operating results. I'll turn over the call to Andrew Snowden, our CFO, who will review our Q2 financial results in more detail. Thanks, Steve, and uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I'll start my commentary on slide 12 with a review of our consolidated cash position. Um, as you can see in the cash waterfall here, our, our cash position declined by uh, just over $20 million during the quarter to $172 million at the end of June, which is, which is back at a level held at, uh, at December. Um, just as a reminder, the, the June cash balance and, and, and our ca consolidated cash balance always does include um, a level of cash which is held in Cuba, and at June, um, that was about $85 million of the 172 was was held in Cuba. Um, the, the decrease in cash during the quarter was was mainly driven by a $16 million change in uh, in working capital, um, and that was primarily related to the timing of fertilizer receipts and and deliveries, and, and also to the um, lower Cuban collections which we uh, which we received during the quarter. And I'll talk more to the Cuban collections on, on the next slide. Um, th this decline in, in cash was mitigated, however, by the COVID austerity measures that we've implemented and, and we talked to um, in more detail on our, on our Q1 call, um, and also the deferral of $15 million of interest payments, um, which were due during the quarter, and that's uh, as a result of the balance sheet initiative that we launched back in Q1, and, and that interest uh, will be issued as additional debt um, under our, our, our debt uh, initiative. Um, turning now to slide 13, um, this slide really just provides the status of our overdue receivables from, from our uh, Cuban energy partners. Uh, we, we did end, end Q2 with an increase in our overdue amounts, um, so that was up to $159 million at the end of Q2, which uh, was up about $5 million from the amount we had at the end of, at the end of Q1. Um, so during the, during the quarter, we received a total of 11.6 million US in collections on our, on our power business. And, and this, this consisted of collections on, under three different elements. Um, you know, firstly, we collected 7.8 million under our June 29 overdue agreement, which we refer to as, as the MOA swap. And, and this level of collection was consistent with the, the, the terms of the agreement. Um, and secondly, we received 1.5 million, and that's under the February 2020 agreement that we announced earlier this year. Um, this, unfortunately, was significantly below the expectation, as, as we were expecting 5 million a month or, or 15 million during the quarter. Um, and then finally, we received 2.3 million, um, which we received actually in Cuba to support some local expenses, primarily on the oil and gas side of the business. Um, the lower energy payments in the quarter, particularly on, on relating to that February 2020 agreement that I referred to, um, were the result of reduced access to foreign currency in Cuba, and that's primarily due to the spread of, uh, of COVID-19 uh, during the quarter. Um, 
as a result of this, the timing of payments, at least in the near term, is, is difficult to predict, and, and this will play into our, our cash position through the course of 2020. Turning now to slide 14, I just wanted to pro provide a brief update on our credit facility. Um, so I mentioned on our Q1 earnings call about the changes in covenants and also an extension at the time to August of 2020. Uh, given the delays in our, in our balance sheet initiative, the maturity of the facility was further extended to the end of September. Um, so that's to ensure that we, we have sufficient time to, um, to close our balance sheet initiative and then renegotiate the, uh, the, the kind of renewal of the credit facility. Um, one additional change I just wanted to note relates to the letter of credit that we, we had previously issued through the facility. Um, as I've noted before, $47 million of the credit facility had been utilized by a letter of credit associated with reclamation costs for our Spanish oil assets. Um, in June, this letter of credit was not renewed as we are in discussion with our Spanish partners on, um, on a potential alternative arrangement which doesn't tie up as much liquidity as this letter of credit. Uh, I'll be able to provide a a further update on those discussions uh, next quarter. Um, looking now at slide 15, I just wanted to take a few minutes on the next few slides to provide an update on the status of our balance sheet initiative. And, and Dave made reference to a, a few points on this, on this earlier. This has been a key focus for the management team during the quarter. Um, the, the, the balance sheet initiative is, is intended to strengthen our capital structure, you know, improve liquidity, address our pending debt maturities, and, and also resolve our and batter the investment legacy. Now, several amendments to the proposal were made during the quarter to support the execution of a proposal that's fair for all stakeholders, and this proposal received overwhelming support from our debt holders at last week's meeting with 89% with support. Um, pending the, the court approval and final closing, which we expect by the end of August, um, the initiative will result in a number of important changes to our balance sheet, um, in, in addition to the debt reduction of over $300 million and cash interest saving of $16 million, we'll also push out the, uh, the maturities of our debt to uh, 2026 and beyond. Um, you, you may have noticed, and, and Dave made reference to some of the noise in our, in our Q2 financial statements earlier, but you may have noticed our debentures have been classified as a current liability at June 30th, and this is due to uh, unpaid interest on those debentures. Um, and as I referenced earlier as well, that's, that's because that, thought, that unpaid interest is all part of our proposal um, under the balance sheet initiative and is being settled in incremental debt that will be issued on, on closing. So the, the debt will be reclassified again to a long-term liability in Q3 on, uh, on closing of the transaction. Again, um, the final point on this slide uh, just references the, the interest payments on the secondly notes, which will... Uh, commence in uh, October 31st. Um, the next slide, so turning now to uh, slide 16, I think it just provides a bit more detail on the, uh, on, on the new debt maturities I mentioned earlier. Um, so instead of maturities starting in November of 2021, our new second lien notes will mature in November of 2026. And as you can see from, from the slide, the Ambassador Partner Loans will also be extinguished, resulting in share having no debt maturities for the next six years. The, the amended terms of the balance sheet initiative that we announced during the quarter now also include a $75 million junior note as additional consideration for the note holders. Um, and this, uh, this junior note is also noted on the slide in red, um, 
with a maturity of nine years from the issuance date, so I expect that will be August of, uh, of 2029. Um, this note includes a payment in kind option where the 10.75% where the interest rate is payable at share its election in additional debt, which will be paid uh, at the maturity of, uh, of that note. Um, turning now to slide 17, uh, you know, resolving our ambassador investment legacy was, was also a key consideration of the balance sheet initiative. And uh, pending final close, the transaction will result in a number of changes to our involvement in the ambassador joint venture, which are noted on this slide. Um, most notably, all the debts related to the ambassador project will be removed from our balance sheet. And for more than a year now, um, you'll recall that this has been classified as a current liability due to us being a defaulting shareholder of Ambassadors following our, our decision not to fund. Um, and this debt will be exchanged for our 12% ownership interest in the, in the joint venture. In addition, our operator status will end once the transaction closes, um, which I expect will be at the end of August. So that concludes my remarks. Um, I'll now turn the call back to uh, Dave for his closing remarks. All right. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Uh, just a couple of things from me before we, we wrap up and take your questions. Um, I mentioned off the top that we reinstated our guidance uh, for 2020, uh, and you'll see that uh, set out on slide 19. Um, the guidance is all largely in line with the production forecast that we announced uh, back at the beginning of 2020 before suspending them after in Q1 at the early in the, uh, early, in the early days of the, the pandemic. Um, the, the major changes to our guidance really relate to capital spending. Um, you'll see the reductions in capital spending uh, forecast for the year as a result of our austerity and liquidity preservation measures that we've taken in response to, to COVID-19. Um, looking at, uh, at the more joint venture in particular, uh, we've made some assumptions on respect to operations and input costs and commodity prices, and we think those are pretty conservative at this point in time, but obviously the all of this guidance is, is predicated on, uh, on the assumption that we don't have any more significant uh, COVID uh, disruption, COVID-related disruptions that we can continue to operate in the way that we've established over the last few months. Um, nickel production and cobalt production are, should be between 32 and 33,000 tons and 33 and 3,400 tons, respectively. Uh, net dry cash cost should be between 4 and 450 pounds, and that reflects really the recent commodity price trends. Um, as well as the savings that Steve highlighted on, uh, on, the, uh, on our mining processing and refining costs, um, softness in the cobalt market uh, uh, and pricing for cobalt in particular is hurting us a bit on the net direct cash cost side as we account for cobalt as a, as a byproduct credit. Uh, capital spending has been lowered to uh, $22 million for the year from the previously estimate, uh, previous estimate of $34 million. Uh, couple of comments on what we're seeing in nickel and cobalt markets. Uh, slide 20 highlights um, you know, the performance of nickel and cobalt respectively uh, over the course of the second quarter. Um, we did see a, an uptick in improvement in, in nickel over the quarter. Nickel started the quarter around uh, just not blown up or hit below uh, not much over five bucks, but is now um, up around six, 620, six and a quarter. Um, we've seen that upward trend actually, particularly since the start of Q3, is it's, it's now uh, climbed up north of six bucks. Um, what happens for the rest of this year? I think we're, you know, we're going to continue to see volatility, nickel demand, and nickel pricing is difficult to predict at the best of times. Um, but with uh, with the greater uncertainty around uh, around nickel and cobalt price, uh, uh, greater uncertainty around 
uh, economic activity and uh, generally uh, the correlation between global GDP growth and stainless steel demand and, and, and nickel demand, it's, it's very, very expected to see that continue to be volatile in the near term. Uh, cobalt, by uh, comparison, though, has actually been declining this year. Uh, we do see continued softness in the, in the cobalt market. Uh, cobalt demand is down, um, uh, particularly from a couple sectors that, uh, that are normally significant consumers of cobalt. Aerospace, as an example, the airline industry and airplane construction has obviously taken a significant hit uh, through, uh, through this COVID pandemic, and, and we'll see how that looks like coming back over time. Uh, slide 21 shows a bit more of the medium and longer term outlook and our expectations there. Um, as I say, it is difficult to predict. Uh, we do, however, still fundamentally believe that the, uh, the, the fundamentals for, for nickel remain strong. Um, and uh, nickel over the next few years, demand growth is continuing to expect to grow at about 3% a year uh, as, uh, as demand uh, and it grows for uh, particularly the, the electrification of transportation continues. Lastly, for me, just quickly on Block 10, um, you'll have seen the update on that in our press release. Uh, not a lot of progress, unfortunately, on Block 10 over the quarter, largely due to COVID uh, and the travel restrictions implemented in, in Cuba. We did do some initial testing that was that was inconclusive, and then we haven't really been able to get back to site for most of the quarter. While we are now back on site and trying to run the well again and, and, and get some, some more samples for testing. Uh, Intra-Cuba consumer travel within Cuba restrictions have been lifted. There are still significant restrictions for traveling in and out of Cuba, though, um, but we expect to have some hopefully more information there in the coming weeks. So that is kind of where uh, where we are at at the moment from the quarter as a whole. Um, uh, you know, market turmoil and uncertainty have been affecting us from a from a cash generation. Uh, 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 perspective and that turmoil and uncertainty is probably going to continue in the near term. We've been affected um, by the uh, by the financial impact of, of COVID and travel restrictions and U.S. sanctions on Cuba in a way greater than we were anticipating at the beginning of the year, but we continue to work through that with our partners. Um, our restructuring transaction continues apace, and we believe that will significantly strengthen our financial position and equip us to deal with some of this near-term global uncertainty that COVID-19 has produced. So that sums up uh, where what we wanted to talk to you about today. Um, I know a number of the analysts are still restricted as a result of us being in our ongoing restructuring process, but operator, if there are any questions, um, we'd be happy to take them. Certainly. At this time, if you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, please press the pound key. We will pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. And once again, to ask a question, please press star followed by the number one. We have no questions over the phone. I'd like to turn the call back over to David Pappy for closing remarks. All right. Well, then, thank you once again for joining us. Um, uh, I hope you get a chance to enjoy some of the rest of the summer. Uh, look out for more information from us in the coming weeks as our restructuring transaction uh, proceeds towards close uh, around the end of August. Um, I appreciate that some of the analysts at this point in time, because they are restricted and unable to ask questions, but we are available uh, for any, any questions or follow-up anybody may have uh, following, the, following this call. So thank you once again, and we will speak to you uh, when we complete Q3. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.
Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.